0: lovely listeners we have such a treat for you today joining us on this episode of the show is vermont state librarian jason rotten now when i asked him to be on the show i also invited him to choose the book we'd be discussing and he chose the wonderful graphic novel marbles Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me by Ellen Forney. And I learned so much both from the book and from Jason Brown. A content note for this episode, as the title of Ellen Forney's book suggests, we're going to talk about mental illness. If you're not in a space for that right now, we still love you, but we want you to take care of yourself and we understand you. That said, we had a wonderful conversation about art, about teaching, creativity, Led Zeppelin, getting to know your parents as an adult, and what specifically the Vermont State Librarian gets up to. And on that note, I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this is Vermont Ed Reads, a podcast by, for, and with Vermont educators. Let's chat. Thanks so much for joining me, Jason. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Hello, my name is uh, Jason Broughton. I am so thrilled to be with you today to talk about a book. In this case, it's a very interesting book. But about me per se, I am your state librarian for Vermont and Commissioner of the Department of Libraries. And within that, my role is to assist our department, assist the libraries of the state, and we act as a state library for state government. We like to call ourselves the library for libraries.
0: Well, I'm, as a librarian, I'm super excited to have you on. It's like, I feel like I'm, um, I, I'm having um, a celebrity on. So thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> well, uh, do you, you. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit before we jump into this book? Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're reading right now? What's on your night nightstand? Or
1: oh my goodness! Well, right now there's a couple of things, and one of them I'll probably bring back up. Uh, one of them is well, I'll start with the more positive. Uh, There is a book, I can't think of the author right now, but it's called, um, Let's Pretend This Never Happened. And it really is a conversation about a woman talking about the experiences of her father. Um, I haven't finished it completely because it's quite amusing. And her role is really telling other people when they say, you don't understand, my father is like." She brings out her history in which her father um, was a taxidermist. So you have to imagine him she says basically in the middle of the night going out or something hit an animal like roadkill, he's dragging it home. He's reconstructing it. You know, once she talked about an example of, she was reaching in the refrigerator and he had put a snake in there so it could die. And she was trying to find a sandwich. So she pulls out this half alive, half frozen snake. (laughs) It's a, a weird thing, but it's really a conversation about when people think they know their parents and they tend to want to say, well, you don't understand my, my parents are much worse than you. They don't understand me. And she's like, sit down, let me talk to you about my father. And so (laughs) it's entitled, let's pretend this never happened.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun, actually.
1: (laughs) It's a really comical book. Yes. It's really lighthearted and funny. It just makes you give a sense of if you think your parents, which we all do at a certain point in our lives, you don't understand me as an adolescent, how dare you? But as you age, you're like, wait a minute, my parents had to be teens as well. What am I talking about? They too had these situations. So she kind of helps people recalibrate their understanding of their parents a bit when they want to complain. Because I know my parents were very different, but my father never took on taxidermy to explain things to me. So
0: this sounds like a great gift (laughs) for my son, actually. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Uh, You said you were reading something else?
1: Yes, I have a book that's not a graphic novel, but it was recommended because of the visualing um images of it it's it's much more um oh, sobering but it talks about the transatlantic um, slave trade but it's done through imagery um the author is mr feelings i can't think of his first name one thing is tom feelings but it really is just an, a visual book and the way he draws it going from the time of people being loaded onto boats um, from Africa and then coming out to the New World and other parts of South America or even Great Britain, it's just a a moving, captivating book. But that goes into, I guess, parts of our conversation today to talk about books that are filled with imagery, but particularly graphic novels, which is something some people want to say, well, isn't that like a comic book? Sort of, kind of, but you now have this new plethora of formats of I call visualization style books, visual style materials that people are embracing because sometimes things could be text heavy, but graphic novels are in a whole host of items. I mean, I saw one the other day where you're looking at, of course, Nancy Drew is a big one, but they now have all the uh, superheroes and some others. And then you have things like William Shakespeare as a graphic novel. I mean, you can find anything now. And that was so refreshing but stunning to see like, oh, graphic novels are going into places where comic books did not go, where it can be a social topic like we're going to talk about
0: today. I love that. And this is my uh, regular like annual reminder to folks that reading a graphic novel is reading.
1: Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Graphic
0: novels are books and they have text and that reading them is often for me, especially Reading a graphic novel can be more challenging than reading plain text because I have to slow down and look at the images and make sense of them. And so it's just my reminder to folks that um, when kids are reading graphic novels, they're reading.
1: And I do want to add a plug if people want to take it one step further real quickly. What a lot of people might not know is that they do have access to a wonderful tool and resource that you probably know about called the um, Center for cartoon studies. And if you actually want to learn how to draw, this is a wonderful way because they do a lot of things that go through how to do with emotion. And right now they actually created a graphic novel talking about COVID and how to help your child go through COVID and talk about a variety of items. They also did one on Democracy because this year has been an interesting conversation talking about, do we all understand what civics is? Because people have forgotten what civics So if you want to even just take small steps and saying, well, I'm not an artist, I would highly suggest connecting with the Center for Cartoon Studies because they have a lot of cheap to high end programs if you're interested in doing it, but it's a way to also allow yourself expression to kind of say, well, this is how I'm feeling and you get to draw a little angry person and figure out how to make it look like you're angry and that's therapeutic as well.
0: Absolutely. That sounds fabulous. I'll make sure to put some links in our transcript. So often when I do this podcast, I reach out to a guest with a book and say, hey, you have a lot of expertise on this. You want to talk to me about this book? Um, This was different. I reached out to you and said, choose a book. Let's talk about it. So do you want to talk about why you chose this, this graphic memoir, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo and Me?
1: Well, I would say last year, this time I was here, and uh, I like to say it now, like how parts of our state library staff have talked to me, it's as if we're kind of like in the Hunger Games and people know how that is dystopic future. And they say this way, when we talk about anything prior to COVID, in the before times, (laughs) so So in the before times, which was last year, during the summer, I went out on a date with a wonderful woman and we went up to Montreal, and we were there to see Trevor Noah. Uh, She had gotten tickets and whatever else, and yes, we had a wonderful time going to the massive hall there to see him, but the weird part was this. We tend to be very outgoing, sociable people, and we were in line with um, hundreds of people, and we were just talking about library stuff and and work, and the couple behind us started to listen to us, and we didn't know that, and the next thing you know, we kind of turned them in conversation with them, and before we knew it, they are like would you like to come over to both of you for brunch tomorrow and at first you were like who does this we could be murdered in montreal i know this but we were still having a good time we thought about it we got they gave us their number And we thought about the next day and we said, you know, let's just, let's just go. So we actually brought some cheese and wine and we met with them and they're a biracial couple. And so they had biracial children and we ended up in this wonderful conversation with um, these Canadians. And it was just an amazing experience. Well, in that, however, we decided to, before we depart, we went out to a store And one of the children was talking about dating a young lady, because he was just about to go to college and we were just listening. And that's not the reason why they wanted to talk with us, he's just sharing. And as she listened to him, she said, "'So you're dating a, a young lady that you think might have mental illness?' And I was like, oh." And the librarian part of her kicked in and the store, she looked around, she immediately went to a clerk, she knew how to speak French. And before I knew it, the, the person came out with this book. And I had never seen, I knew graphic novels as a librarian, but I'd never seen this. And before I knew it, she says, if you trust me, even though we've only met each other like today, I highly suggest that you read this book. It'll help you understand her because you shared some things with me personally. And if you agree, feel free to give her this book because it might help her. And before I knew it, they wrote back to us many, many months later, like that book helped him understand that she was manic depressive and what he would need to expect. As far as I know, I had lost track with them through social media in a while, but the unique part of this before connecting with you, about four weeks ago, I decided to reach out to the couple who was in Canada. I said, it's been almost a year. I I just wonder how you're doing with COVID. And we talked and oh, the mother said, you know, they're still together. And I was like, oh, wow. So that book was a recommendation. And I was so stunned when she had, she said, well, this book is going to talk about, you know, manic depression. I mean, there's a graphic novel for manic depression. And so when I got back, you know, just coming across the border to Vermont, I immediately ordered the book to say, let me read this and see what this is like, because I I don't believe graphic novels are now taking on medical topics, um, personality items, but they are. And this book was so stunning that I was shocked to realize that someone had put it into a graphic novel, their experience of living with manic depression.
0: I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing it. And I love that it crossed the border in the before time when we crossed the border. Um, So, I just want to put a note out there for our listeners that this is a graphic novel. It's in comic form. It is not for young people. It's an adult book um, and um, for many reasons, but I just want to put that out there for folks. Don't go buying this for your middle school-aged kid. This is a book we're talking about to inform us to think about it, but it's really for adults to read. I would... I Much fully older agree. teenagers. Yeah. I
1: fully agree with that because um, the topics are not necessarily adult in nature. Children do have forms of manic depression, but this book is really geared to uh, adult populations or conversations with adults in navigating some interesting things with the disorder. And once you examine it, you will see why. This is a really wonderful book that will give you insight into what people might experience based on how they're thinking. And that can be very surprising, but it was definitely stunning to see like, oh, this is all here from when you're in mania, think about it. You're going to have an excess state of how you think about life. You might do some really risk-taking things. And that is of an adult nature. And then the depressive side in which in some cases the person just can't even move. Like they're in the room or on a couch eight to 10 hours a day, didn't get up and eat just set there. So it's an interesting book.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's introduce our listeners to Ellen Forney a little bit, who is both the author and illustrator of this book and its main character. It's about her life. Do you want to talk a little bit about who Ellen is and,
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, she is on the back. I can kind of read that for people to let you know. What was stunning to realize, and she has a wonderful image on the back of the book, is that she is a lifelong cartoonist. And within that, it is a national um, award-winning book. uh, With that, she collaborated on one called The Absolute True Diary of a Part-Time Indian and created the Eisner Award nominated in comic books. Um, I love Led Zeppelin. For those who know who that is, it's a band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of a certain era. Um, I still listen to Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin and in, interestingly, uh, Monkey Food, the Complete I Was 7 in 75 collection. And she's also uh, the recipient of Seattle's Stranger Genius Award in Literature. She teaches comics courses at Cornish College and Arts in Seattle, Washington. She has been on the East Coast a couple of times. One of my dreams would be to try to see if she would come and talk um, to the library community and to Vermonters about her items because the book is also, um, a former bestseller and you, I mean, you get it. I'm quite sure you will see why. You will probably be stunned to realize that this would be something that somebody could put to drawing with emotion and in a way that it is completely understandable to where it goes into refreshingly surprising to absolutely stunning.
0: Yeah, so this book captures me right away, because she begins the book with getting a tattoo, this enormous yes. <laughs> tattoo, uh, within the first couple of pages, and I was sucked in uh, and um, and wanted to see that tattoo, which I did get to see eventually in the book, but uh, it, that tattoo process really begins this um, spell of mania that she's having. It does. Mm-hmm. And when she's in mania, she's, well, she feels, whether she is or not is another thing, but she feels super productive.
1: Right. She's
0: really connected, right? And she is the life of the party.
1: She basically says on one part, the um, I am with the universe. It is so elated. Like she in her mind believes she understands everything. Now, some people would say, well, I feel like that sometimes. There's a little bit of a difference in this because as you go through the book, the first part, as you just mentioned, it doesn't kind of show you exactly what's going on in your life. But she seems extremely happy. But as you go further on, then things start to hit more realistic tones. It's well, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done this. And you get to see what it might feel like when someone feels I'm on top of the world. I can bake 40 cakes right now and I can definitely do golf at the same time. And it's no, you can't. That's impossible. You, you need to calm down <laughs> type of a feel.
0: So yeah, and so then when she hits these um, depressive states, oh. like you talked about, where she like shuts down, um, she her she feels like her productivity goes way 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 down. She's not making art. She's not connecting with people. Um, she gets in this really stuck place, and she starts to question some of the things that were so good about her mania, right? Like she starts to realize like, Oh, Oh, it just felt good.
1: Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have gone to the tattoo artist on a whim (laughs) and said, draw this on my back.
0: (laughs) I don't know that she regrets the tattoo, but she does regret other things. Right. And she has this like definite swing and she starts to seek out help. And what I, I think I just want to pause for a minute and say, Like one of the things that I loved excessively about this book was her courage and her vulnerability and her willingness to come out as bipolar and be so honest about her experience. Because I think that in our world takes a lot. um, It takes a lot. It takes guts to do that.
1: When you say that, I think one of the, the wonders that I loved about it, too, is early on, you realize she realized something wasn't right and that she needed to talk to someone. Um, she wasn't trying to self-medicate. It, it, well, she kind of was prior to that, but let's be honest, <laughs> but in a, in a way in which some people hear of certain drugs and they just want to take it. If, for example, when she started meeting with the uh, therapist, the person sat her down in a nice way and she's still kind of up and elated. And I it was interesting to see, well, how might a person take the news that they're ill. Now we can all say, well, I know what would happen if someone told me that, oh, Jason, I'm so sorry, you had cancer or you have liver failure or your brain has this tumor. In your mind, you'd know how you would take that. But when someone has to tell you, well, Jane, I need to sit down and tell you this. Given what you told me, I believe you might actually have a mental disorder and you'd be immediately begin to see her saying, I'm not crazy. And she's like, I'm not saying you're crazy. I am saying, I think you're manic depressive, and you might need to be put on medication. And then you see the conversation of, I don't want medication. I heard medication does blah, blah, blah to this. My creativity is going to go down. So it gives you this embodiment where the stigma of any mental illness comes in the minute someone says, you are not considered what I like to question as normal. I personally believe we are all not normal. We all have our quirks. So when you hear people sit there and say, you're not normal, it is, well, let's really talk about what you're saying. Cause I think it's abnormal. You're telling me I'm not normal. You know, it's kind of, but she is fearful of being labeled that way because she knows how society will see her if she has to openly let people know that she has a mental disorder. Cause when you hear that people think, Oh, you're crazy.
0: Yeah. She really worries about whether people will trust her and the judgments they'll make of her. Mm-hmm. I love that you drew that parallel to other forms of illness. And I think about, um, you know, in many ways, what she's going through parallels that, right? Like she's not sure she has to go through years of drug treatment to figure out what drug, right? And so that's that an ha- interesting
1: journey too. I was stunned by that because you think, but well, it's probably for a lot of things in any disorder, you go from A standpoint not having that you watch somebody and you realize wow i thought you would find a drug within a couple weeks and you would be better it took her years to find the appropriate drug to get her to be stable she says and it was just interesting
0: And combinations of drugs, right? And the side effects she had to deal with, it's quite a journey. And that can happen for physical illnesses, right? It might take a couple tries. I I have friends who are going through um, multiple cancer treatments, right? And it takes a lot to go through that, but it's a little bit different. I think we have, I have this notion that um, it would be a quick fix.
1: That's what I thought too. And when you said that the cancer, I would give you something that it's slightly humorous but it's also slightly sad and it's from maybe our generation is where i'll put it and definitely older when i was younger um an aunt of mine ended up having cancer and she survived and until it was natural time for her to go but i would never forget my mother was talking to me and my brother my father was at the table and i grew up in south carolina very rural Think about how we talk about disorders of a certain period. And in some cases, this is still done. I will never forget sitting there at the table with my mother. And she says, I, I want to tell you about your aunt. And I, you knew it was serious because the, the voice is a little bit lower and slow. And then she said it like this. I'm eating. My brother's looking at me. And we're like, oh, this is going to be horrible. And my mother leaned over to us and said, she has cancer in a whisper I, of course, if you knew me as a child, have a scientific mind. I got a degree in biology, but I didn't have any emotion. I looked at my mother and I said, I don't understand why you're whispering. It's just us four in this house, right? Why are you whispering? And Like my aunt was not there, but it let me know when I thought when I was older saying, I told somebody that same story and they said, you have to understand that is how people thought like when you had cancer, it was I was like, but can't you just say, oh, I'm so sorry. You have cancer. It's like, no, you had to almost whisper it. You have cancer.
0: Shh, don't, don't. You're making me realize we've come a long way. Right. And so, but I think that what Ellen's point is in this book is pushing us to come a little further, especially around mental illness. I agree. So I loved this as a way to step into the shoes of somebody who's dealing with a serious mental illness and like, see what the journey is like. But part of her journey is specifically about um, will I still be creative if I yes. treat my bipolar disorder? because creative people are are and i'm I'm using air quotes here, crazy, right? Like there's <laughs> this this stereotype or this notion that that part of their creativity, that part of Van Gogh's creativity came from his mental illness.
1: I fully agree, and that is one of the conversational thoughts when you think about creativity, for example, you will even hear people say, supplement it. Why don't you have a couple of a glass of wine? Why don't you do some drugs? Your creativity side is gonna come out. And you do hear that from contemporary society to say that is a way to, I guess, let your first guard down of inhibition so the energy flows out. This book wonderfully discusses that because she lists all the interesting people because her therapist said Well, you need to know there's a lot more people who were on medication who also are bipolar. And it was stunning for her to also provide that to us by way of this graphic novel, because she too didn't know that there were a lot of people who had disorders in a way where they were like, no, that's just it. it. We believe it might help their creativity, or maybe that's the way they express it because of how their disorder is. But it's not something to hide or keep quiet. It's to say, take the whole package. This is what this person is. And they are using their gift to allow us to see that. And I thought it was like stunning because in the book, people will find very unique. They will list people that you may know and other people that you might not know who actually were manic depressive
0: right and it, and i think one of the reasons you and i both love this book is because it's a librarian's dream because <laughs> she goes through this inquiry process right this research process to look up all the creative folks who have mental illness or bipolar right. disorder in particular yes and so she's really weighing these two things to me it was like the scale tipping back and forth throughout the book of her um her artistry her creativity her her ability to be productive as an artist and uh, suicide, death, like all yes. the, the like side effects of, um, of, of having bipolar disorder. And so she's thinking about these two, the trade-off between these two things. Like a lot of these people killed themselves. Correct. Right. So that could happen to me. And, uh, but if I medicate, if I get rid of this side of myself, well, I, I won't be as creative. Who I am. Yeah. Well, I lose who I am in the world as a creative. And
1: it was a tug of war. That was quite interesting because um, for the reader, you should know that she literally is, I must almost say it in this way, my thing was like being on a ledge and you're hanging on with your little tiny fingertips and you're thinking, I believe I can pull myself up, but there's a part of you that says, well, what just happens if I let go? And in her case, it was this, I want to still be productive. I know these drugs have side effects. I was just still surprised to see that she was able to still keep that thread of herself saying, but I need to get better. I don't know what that looks like. I'm being told to take medication because in other books you might find, the person might say, well, I just give up. I'm just gonna succumb to the depression and the anxiety and live off that. But you in the end know that that's not stable, that that could get you killed. It could, you could cause your own death. But it was really interesting to see her pursue the therapy, continue for the years, and eventually begin to grow into it. It was just this this wonderful thing to see because I went, this is not a, it's a slightly feel-good book, but it it takes you through it first as opposed to, oh, I know how this book is going to end. It's, oh, I, I didn't even see this part coming. She relapses a bit. It's a struggle. And when she's depressed, it is graphically in a way I think that we all understand it in which she shows one where she is wrapped up she's in her bedroom it's just the bed she is in the bed and another image shows she's still in the bed she leans up on the bed she's still wrapped up she is in another image leaned up on the bed she leaves the bed goes in another room and then lays down on the couch and goes back to sleep
0: the images in this book this is um the 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 graphics in this book just like most graphic novels extend the story and make it more visceral and powerful than it would be if it was just words. And I, cool. I thought that there are so many times in this book, from the sketches from her sketchbook to the way her art changes on the page based on what's going on, like the very style of her art. It's just so powerful the way she presents both the joy and the mania and the grief and the and the depression. Um I got to tell you, though, the part where my educator brain, my teacher brain like sparked big time was when because I could see using this book to like understand mental illness in families or in students. But the part that really grabbed me was when we got to page um, 202 and 203, where she starts to say, wait a minute, what even is creativity? where she digs into the definition of creativity. And the reason that sparked for me is because I work with a lot of teachers who are trying to implement um, the transferable skills, the Vermont transferable skills, one of which is either creative and practical problem solving or creativity. There are different names for it in different schools. But I love this page because she says, um, I was struck by the definition of create, oh, I'm sorry, she says, Audrey, I'm gonna say that again. I love this page because she says creativity isn't easy to pinpoint, but most researchers agree on this particular definition of creativity. And then she goes on to say that um, it's thoughts and behaviors that are original and useful. And she breaks it into three components. One is a person. In order to have creativity, you got to have a human. Two is engaging in a process of thinking problem solving in an interesting way. And three is to create or produce an identifiable outcome. So you got to have a person, they got to go through a process of problem solving and thinking creatively, and then they have to produce something. That thing doesn't have to be tangible, right? It could be a poem. It could be a, you know, it could, it, it could be a change in, in norms, classroom norms, but this idea that something comes out of it. And that was such a, like, more open-ended definition of creativity than sort of, I think, what I, for example, have been stuck in, had been stuck in earlier in my life, which is this idea that creativity is for artists.
1: Oh, when you say that, that goes, when you said the person, the part that stood out to me on that page were two things, one of them quite comical, but as you said, the definition of creativity, and it's by... um, Andreessen in 2005, it's thoughts and behaviors that are original and useful. And the part that made me laugh was, if you're able to see this um, book, the one that says person, there is an image of a person with a characteristic, and the characteristic is, I free associate and I wear unusual clothes. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then it says, or it could be that chosen occupation. I'm a poet. And then it says, especially in the creative arts, including art, architecture, design, music, theater, writing, poetry. Um, and it gives a citation. And then it goes into that process. So people might say, well, yeah, that's a usable suspect. But if you really pull that apart, there's a part of me, my own personal, that is saying, okay for creativity there sometimes overwhelmingly is this interesting little quirk that we have and even when we want to look at people and say well i don't know anybody who wears unusual clothes or i think it's kind of this hippie pay attention you'll be surprised to see sometime your own boss do things in a way where you're kind of like why is everything centered this way and it's because they have some type of design they're trying to met out, some type of unique way of looking. And when you just, as I call it, just peel back the covers a big conversation opens up to say, do you like to do interesting thing? And you'd be surprised, some people say, I paint, I do this, I woodshop, I bake. There's a whole host of things that will all of a sudden just come out. And But yet these people aren't gonna say, well, I don't dress like a hippie. I don't dress with loud clothes on. But it's, oh, there's an artist underneath here. What does that look like?
0: I love that. And I also think, I'm gonna put a few pictures of these, a couple of pages in the transcript, but um, I love that. But I also think um, sometimes creativity shows up in professions that we don't think of as creative. And so, educators are some of the most creative people I know because they're always problem solving to think about how to help kids learn, right? And if it didn't work out the first time and being creative about how to um, get kids interested in the first place, how to stretch them and grow them, like I am always um, enamored and struck by the uh, creativity I see teachers use in the classroom with their students.
1: (laughs) That's like amazing.
0: (laughs) Um, so it's not just because you're a teacher and you're a knitter, it's a teacher, it's because you're a teacher and you you know, like you're not, it's not just that, like, or that you bake, I, although those things are creative and I love them. It's that just by the act of doing your job and meeting kids where they are, they are, you have to exhibit a lot of creativity. And so I really appreciated the way this made me think outside the box of what would you say that of teaching
1: is such a creative profession when people really look at it, it is a sometimes being upfront, a soul draining position. But when you really peel back the layer, and I'm talking any teacher public private, you have asked the person to go into a room to connect with on average, as little as five minds all the way up to 50, including professors up to 100. And this person is supposed to remember your name, find something a little bit more about you that helps them remember that. And then amongst all of the other people, understand you in a way in which you are talking in a general format where they get a topic and then say, well, Jeannie, I know for you, I need to give you this analogy, which helps you learn. Jason, for you, I need to show you this little video. If people understand, that is stunning. That is an, that is an art where you know people at least enough to say, I believe I know you enough and what captures you and will, will allow you to learn. That is beyond artistry. Because if we think about in our standard lives, other than close friends and family, you can't walk into a room and immediately begin to say, oh, I noticed something a little bit about you. And I think this saying it this way or showing it to you this way is going to help you remember that. Not many people can do that, let alone do it for a year, and then all of a sudden, people remember you years down the line saying, you might not remember me from 30 years ago, you taught me in kindergarten, but here I am, you made me, and and they might say, I don't even remember you, but thank you, you know. it's (laughs) it's
0: Educators, Jason and I are your biggest fans.
1: (laughs) it's it's, It's a wonder. It's a wonder. And mean, I say that, I. I remember when I say that I remember my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Hanukkah, She was like the nicest white woman in the world in the south. Oh, and she had long hair. It was the era of the seventies, long hair. When she sat and read us books that went to the floor, but she was so nice. I and when you understand that, that helps me know that she did something to me where I will never forget her. How many people can actually say that? That. People do something so profound when you're so young that you can never forget them, that, that is stunning.
0: Thank you for sharing that, I love that. Um, so the, the other thing I thought about this creativity piece is that one of Ellen's struggles, I think, mirrors the struggle we're going through in schools as we, yes. as we use, as we think about creativity as a transferable skill. And so I think one of the things she's struggling with is, Um, is creativity a fixed quality or talent that I just have, right? By right of being bipolar, being born the way I'm born, or is it a set of skills and dispositions that can be cultivated and practiced over time? And it was really interesting to me that even if she's struggling with this, she's always sketching and creating. Even though they're just sketches in her sketchbook, she's using her creativity to practice and to work this out over time. And so I was really intrigued by the like, um, sort of the back and forth of that, that she's well, struggling with this idea, using this thing, this skill, this set of skills and dispositions to struggle with this thing.
1: I agree because also we can tell the reader at her, her images no matter what are very expressive as you go through the book, but they do seem to, as you go through, obtain a little bit more refinement like you don't want to say she's getting better i actually say she is becoming more representative of how she is feeling depending on what you say that going on i love how educators are trying to grapple with but the goal to me is we don't want to make it so scientific you know to say like oh take these things you're going to be artistic no i do believe we all have the capacity to be creative particularly if something has happened to us where we were one thing before and then something else comes out. Like in other words, if I lost use of a, an arm and I was very creative in painting, I would hope that now all of a sudden I am able to do something with the other one arm in a very interesting way where you're like, oh, it's not the same thing, but he just used it in a different format. So when you say it's an embodiment, I do agree with that. The thing that people need to probably consider is how does it express itself based on what is occurring in one's life. Because we can all look at stuff that we have designed um, early on and, and we might have thought, this is really it. And then all of a sudden, years later, you're like, this is crap. Burn it. <laughs> I don't oh,
0: I've, I've never had that experience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Burn it. And so it's an interesting thing to say, well, why did you change? What happened that made you not feel like this is a as a part of the body of your work. You know, we, I see it as sometimes we want to have perfection. And I put something, I am on social media for those who follow me. I did put something out the other day because I too had this problem in the sense of the quest to chase perfection. And I listened to something where someone just basically said, just remember Confucius. And he basically said, it is better to have a flawed diamond than a flawless pebble.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good.
1: so that should tell you right there you're it's better to take what you got and say oh I've, i'm as close as i can be to this as opposed to well here's this perfectly good nothing <laughs> it's
0: just... well and i i think a lot of teachers are thinking about this these transferable skills and i uh, um, we're focused on creativity here but there are others as well and thinking about um how do we foster this in young people right like how do we um provide opportunities for them to cultivate and grow their creativity right and so um in many ways for me it's less much less about assessing it and or even teaching it but rather just like finding expression finding the places where it fits into your existing curriculum i
1: agree and i also think um here's a part uh, that our listeners might not know so before you started taping everyone. G and I had some interesting conversations to just about, you know, you think about your parents. And I can look back now and say, I had wonderful parents as I age. And I'm coming to the point where I was like, oh, you just hate saying it. Oh my God, my parents were right on some of these things. But now I can look back and say, my parents allowed me and my brother to express ourselves. We grew up in a rural area where parts of Vermont probably still have this but it was a different era the late six and seven days. You could allow your children to literally romp out in fields, five and 10 miles away from the house. And they know you're coming back just like, you need to be back in the house by the time the sun is about to set. The parents never kind of really said like, I don't, really worry about my children, right? I think they're going to find their way. When I say that it allowed us to look at nature in an artistic way, play within nature. But we went into camps and stories and we did a lot of handmade things. We also did things that were bought. I think in helping as an educator, if you can find ways to allow children to simply express the topic as they best can under their own guise for what the examples are, it allows you to begin to not hone them to do it right, but to say, okay, your thing is not necessarily drawing at this level, but I definitely know that you can sing. Why don't you make a poem or a rap song or a tune out of this? This person can draw and you can say, well, painting is your thing, but you also can, I mean, let the person begin to do that because sometimes people are so multifaceted. They themselves don't know which one they want to hone. But the thing to me is at a young age, it really is like when people say you are 20 times more to have literate children if you at least have books in the home we know this if the parents at least are reading the children are going to read so if you yourself have forgotten how fun it is to be creative your children will be more creative if you allow them to see that you are creative
0: what what I hear you talking about, Jason, and you didn't use this language, but I'm going to use it, is um, flexible pathways. How do we provide <laughs> personally meaningful learning opp- opportunities for students to be creative in the ways that suit them, um, knowing that creativity isn't one size fits all?
1: Oh, correct. It, it's like going to a paint. Well, uh, the best example I'll give is I had the experience recently um, to go to a uh, brunch and paint and sip, which I love. Which let you know what I was doing. Honest, I am an adult. Just let you know I can paint and drink. But within that, the room had a bunch of people where what I love is the presenter came out and said, we're going to do this Halloween theme. And right off the bat said, some of us are going to paint and try to be exact. That's fine. Some of us might say, oh, just go with the flow. And I was like, oh, how nice. So I'm going along with them. And then all of a sudden I realized I could not draw it exactly the way that I might have wanted to. I took another path and everyone was like, well, this is very different. And I just was, I felt comfortable because they said you could do that as opposed to, I looked around the room and there were some people who had mirror images of what the the main presenter had presented. And I had like gone off the rails. I was like, yeah, the moon is here in this haunted house, but I kind of drew a mountain behind the house and there were, you know, it it looked like Dante's Inferno on the bottom of a canvas, you know.
0: (laughs) I wonder. You might share a picture that we can put in the transcripts.
1: <laughs> if I show you what we were supposed to paint as compared to how I said, I'm just going with this over here.
0: I really want to see your painting now.
1: <laughs> I will send you a picture.
0: Jason, before we start to wrap up, I, I want to know, are there things that the Department of Libraries can do for teachers? Are there things you wish educators knew about um, what you, a state librarian, do or what the Department of Libraries does? Oh, my
1: goodness. As I said, we are here for librarians in particular. We would urge a lot of people to please visit their local public library, their school librarians, and of course, the academics, because librarians, I will say this up front, some people are going to be horrified or want to put their hands in their ears. Libraries are not about books. Everybody, if you're not careful, you pay attention. Some people, are, oh, he's not a librarian. I'm a librarian because I like what's in the book. The book is just a format. And as we go forward, print will always be here. But if you think about how you grew up, if you say you love books, which are the longest serving format, then if you want to show your age, please send me and I'll give you my address, eight track cassette tape that you had when growing up, if you say you really still love it because you can't find an eight, eight cassette track player right now. So you can see that formats and designs have to change over time. And an understanding that what really is impactful for you is if that was on an eight track cassette tape, it's a tune that has probably been, guess what, transferred to a CD, now transferred to streaming. And what you really are in love with is the song itself. The format is just right now. Print again is never going to go away. So we like information as librarians. What we would try to do is try to help people with literacy and learning. We are not educators. There are librarians who do know how to teach But the main role of a library is to guess what to be literate which is to expose and to allow a person to examine so i would say if you are welcome to it we have a lot of resources um feel free to contact me and i can always direct you to some of the statewide resources that we provide such as the vermont online library which has a ton of items that you can examine but we also do a variety of things that we connect with guess what the Arts Council is a partner and friend to us. We also work with um, the Humanities Council here in Vermont. And so you can see, we are all over the place. We even this year, and well last year too, worked with um, Northeast Organic Farming Association, NOFA, and we did a wonderful thing on agriculture and cooking. And you might say, well, why is a library doing that? Because it's information, any type of experience that allows you to sense means that you are learning, whether it be through sight, sound, and a whole host. We also have what is known as the ABLE Library. We rename that, and it's important that we rename it because I'm a person in proponent that says, please stop talking about service populations. If you understand that, the former name was the Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. That name is really packing them in, boy. They're all coming to that library to be associated with it. So we renamed it the ABLE Library about the service, stop talking about the people, talk about how you're gonna help the people, which is the audio, braille, large print and electronic resources library. Everyone wants some of those, but when you say the library for the blind and physically handicapped, yeah, I too would not be coming to that if I knew what that name was over time, because you would say, well, I don't wanna feel that way. But we've had it where a lot more people are participating not just because of the name, but because they know the services that we have. So we offer Vermont and Vermonters and residents quite a lot by way of the public library, school, academic, and also the department itself.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful. I love the way you touched on all the literacies. Like it's about literacy of all kinds also. Thank you. I'll be singing the Doobie Brothers for the rest (laughs) of the day, because when I hear a track tape, I'm in my uncle's blue truck listening to the Doobie Brothers (laughs) all over again.
1: For me, it was my father and my uncle. Um, Again, not sure how many Vermonters would have been listening to this, but it would be known as uh, Rolls-Royce was the name of the band. But you know the tune because they made a movie out of it and it was car wash, which was car washer. Come on. <laughs> so that was it. The 8-track tape that my father had that going on. And in, the, in, the, in fact, I'll never forget the car. It was a, a Lincoln um, within that. So again, we're showing our age. A lot of the younger people are like, what is an 8-track tape?
0: <laughs> so, they can Google it. <laughs> Uh, Jason, I cannot thank you enough, both for bringing this really beautiful uh, book into my life, um, and also for this super fun conversation. Oh,
1: you're welcome. You're welcome. And if everyone wants to know, I am this serious. I tend a lot of humor. But yes, I, I do have somber conversations. But this book sort of happened through happenstance. But then when I think back, the universe allowed us to share that. And I was wonderful, even though I, I no longer am dating the woman who, who I have been up with, but it was a wonderful experience to have her be such an interesting resource because she is very similar to me in which, even though I clock out, usually at six o'clock from this job, I am still a librarian, so if you were to come to me and we were out talking, you will hear me say, oh, you said you're going to make a flambé? Well, there's a book that you need to be looking for. <laughs> so, <laughs> You oh, literally we... can say, I want to fix a car. Oh, you need to go to Childers. And hear the... I, I don't turn it off. It is my life where you could tell me any... I'm like, oh, there's a book for this. Let me, let me show you where this is at. You, you define this here.
0: We have way too much in common. <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. I hope you'll be a guest in, uh, in I I would love to repeat this yearly.
1: Oh, perfect. I would be happy to. There's so many, the world of, you get it, books is so wide. There's a lot of topics that we could cover in a variety of things. So I'd be happy to come back and discuss any types of topics um, that we can help anyone who is appreciating art, science, conversation, learn by way of a book.
0: Thank you so much. I'm already looking forward to that future conversation. You're quite
1: welcome. Thank you, Jeannie, for having me. Thank you, everybody.
0: I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you to Jason Broughton for appearing on the show and talking with me about marbles, mania, depression, Michelangelo, and me. If you're looking for a copy of Marbles, check with your local library. Big, big thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Audrey Holman. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.terraninstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.